boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Son of a Ginger Podcasting, music, movies, television reviews. Today, these boys are actually going to do some music for the very first time. So welcome back, your hosts, Mason Moreau and Patrick Baylor. Hi. Hey, hey, that's another... Another guy we're testing out. What's uh, what's this guy's name, Mason? Oh, his name is uh, Thaddeus. Thaddeus. Thaddeus Braxton. Thaddeus Braxton. Yeah, uh, he, we found him in the woods. That's right. We found him in the woods. If you didn't he was know, just high on PCP. Yeah, and that's it, why he talks like that. Yeah. Right? We 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 offered him some PCP because, of course, we had some. <laughs> of on course, us. right, right. <laughs> like you don't go to the woods without PCP. And by PCP, that stands for professional. Carrying pants. We just gave him a nice pair of pants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about that and drug. He, he thanked us for the professional carrying pants, and then uh, he, he, we asked him if he would do the intro on our podcast, and he did. So it all worked out. Humanity is great. Uh, as Thaddeus said, we are going to be reviewing some music for you for the first time, like really in the thick of it music. I know we talked about some albums we liked on a few shows ago, but this is all about music, and we are going to cover... Uh, two albums that came out in the fall in a few weeks, in the last few weeks. One for us and one for them, as uh, they'd say in the industry. So we're going to first talk the biggest release of November 2017, if not probably, I think, 2017, which is Taylor Swift's Reputation. And biggest release in that this thing is going to make a lot of money. Yes. Um, and then we will also talk Weezer's Pacific Daydream After. Uh, which is their 11th studio album. But yeah, let's get into the thick of it and discuss Reputation, Taylor Swift's sixth studio album. Her, I guess like her second and a half pop album. Second and a half? Yeah. I mean, Wait, would, would you count Red as a pop album? Because I kind of would. So I listened to that a lot when I was at Camp Counselor the, the, the <laughs> summer that came out. So I listened to it a lot and I would say it was a little, a good blend of both. Uh, actually, so we'll call this her it's third a album. transitional. That, 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 I, I, I that was a full-blown pop album. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it was it was before she officially said, I'm departing from country. So I guess in that regard, you could say, but the, the songs on that album are, really aren't country songs, in my opinion. I knew she was trouble when she walked in. <laughs> I tried to listen to this album on the way over, on the drive over to your apartment where we record this podcast, and uh, I was disappointed to find out it was not on Spotify. No, uh, and her Taylor Swift fashion, and that is her major, her major. What's the word? Her gripe with the music industry her, today. Her gripe, and that's I guess like her, her strategy with with these album releases. Yeah, now. it is a strategy, right? And you know we're we're both enough to call ourselves musicians, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. To where I do appreciate what she does for the music industry in that regard, and that she says, "Hey, this is a major release. Like people are going to be buying and listen to it." I should be paid fairly for it. Oh, okay, streaming services, you're not going to. I'm Well, then, I don't need my music to be on you guys just yet. I'll let people purchase the album with their hard-earned money, but purchase it, and then they own it forever, as opposed to they pay whatever it is a month, every, every month on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, MySpace Deluxe, whatever the heck. Um. So a little food for thought here. You know, regardless of what you think about Taylor Swift's righteous revolution to make sure that artists are paid fairly, I uh, read somewhere that Post Malone is the most streamed artist of all time. Interesting. Yes. Uh, and, and he's like, he, he originated from SoundCloud, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, 
Yeah, I mean, he's built his career upon music streaming services. Looked at his new song, Rockstar. Looked at how many plays it had on Spotify. Multiplied the plays by the average amount of money an artist makes per play on Spotify. Guess how much money Rockstar itself has made. It's not, not Post Malone. Two million dollars. Woo! But the one song has made two million dollars. Do you know how much Mr. Post Malone made off of that? I don't. Probably not a lot because mm-hmm. there's the whole there's a record company, record company, mechanical royalties, other royalties. He gets the mechanical royalty. Literally, I have a certificate in this. Uh, but speaking <laughs> speaking of my University of Georgia music business certificate, I'm going to give a shout out to my professor. David David Lowry, uh, frontman of the hit band Cracker. Uh, Shout out, David. Yeah, he's a good guy. Uh, but he did do something recently. Of he won a class action lawsuit against Spotify about streaming royalties, and I don't know the repercussions of it. So I guess I'm a bad student. So sorry, sorry, Professor Lowry. <laughs> Hopefully, the, those measly royalties from streaming services will change because they are measly. So that's what Miss Swift, I guess, is trying to do with her exclusive Miss. Miss 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 Swift, uh, with her with her release of Reputation, because to listen to it, you I I had to purchase it on my iTunes, you know, as opposed to listen mm-hmm. to it on Spotify like I've normally done. Patrick and I just sat down and had a nice cold beer and uh, listened to a Taylor Swift album just like a, like platonic friends do. A couple of bros listening to some T Swift. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, the last thing with the money though, like I think this will the the numbers are that this. This album made uh, sold seven hundred thousand uh, albums on the first day, and her last album in the first week sold one point two nine million copies. And uh, we're here now. We're recording this on November thirteenth. That's like what four or five days after the initial release. I think she'll probably hit that the same benchmark as uh, nineteen eighty nine uh, with those numbers. So she's gonna make a lot of money because this is what a fifteen dollar album. So. You guys right. can do the math because I don't have a calculator on me. Uh, but yeah. anyway, we're talking about the numbers and the everything. But let's let's talk about the music, man. So when we were listening to this album, you had your computer out. You were doing some research and found out there is a, a plethora of talent on this album uh, writing the music that we were. And that's my favorite thing about uh, about like maybe like looking up pop artist music is the Wikipedia hole. I'll go down. And see everyone involved in it because there are many, many songwriters uh, that are involved on pop hits because literally pop is short for popular. A lot of people are going to listen to it. You got to get it right. Uh, So, yeah, the folks on this one are Max Martin and Shellback, and they've worked with Taylor Swift before. Uh, They're two Swedish producer songwriters that have made a lot of other hits for Katy Perry, Maroon 5, among the others. Uh, And then some other folks are on there. Uh, Ed Sheeran is on a, on a track as well with future real name Navadius Wilburn, if y'all didn't know that. What a name. And then featured on what ends up being more than half of them, and I didn't even realize this, is Bleachers and Fun's Jack Antonoff. And uh, I feel like he definitely has an influence on a lot of these tracks. But because there are so many songwriters, I think there's a little bit of a disjoint in the album if that makes any sense a disjoint yeah you think there's a there's a lot of competing styles easily and it's styles be- and signatures that are that are clashing maybe because there's so many creative forces behind 
uh, the project. And yeah, and and as the album as a whole, because like each song is very like you know ahead of time what kind of song it is. So like on a Max Martin or Shellback song, there's going to be like some trap and hip hip hop elements in it, and and some EDM in it. And then when you have Jack Antonoff in there, he does the thing that he likes to do where there's like a lot of like the '80s pop rock influence. You know, the big anthemic type of drums in there. You know. As well as the keyboards and all that stuff, and then of course you know the one song Ed Sheeran writes. It's almost it almost plays like a a rap song because you know, of course Future's in it. So you can clearly tell that Antonoff is making, and it's most of the B sides too, like the other side of the album, other side like that. That concept doesn't exist anymore. Though I think Taylor Swift also had a, a good deal of vinyl sales, surprisingly, on this album. Uh, yeah, actually, in I I. Uh did a lot of research on this. 2015 was the first year that vinyl sales actually surpassed CD sales. Yes. Uh, so vinyl is now the king of physical media for uh, for good reason. I mean, people like collecting it a lot more than they like collecting CDs. And so that helped with this album, I guess, because you know, like it, you kind of had to actually buy it instead of hope you could stream it later. So, uh, yeah. and actually, like after getting after listening to this, and because you know I collect vinyl, it would have been fun just. Hey, I have a Taylor Swift album on vinyl. Maybe it's yeah. not the best one, and you know we'll talk more about the quality of this a, little, a hair later. But uh, I would I would consider buying this album on vinyl if it if it ends up transcending uh, you know the masses and and yeah more and becoming so more of a classic like one of the classic pop albums of our generation. You know, like if it becomes that significant to music, then I would consider buying it. And yeah, for the same reason, like I, I don't know if my dad was a vinyl collector, but yeah, if he had top selling like Michael Jackson records on vinyl, I'd be like, oh, that's really cool, dad. And then like I know my dad was like kind of a metalhead when he was uh, my age, so I don't think he was a big Michael Jackson dude. Um, but the fact that if you were to have it, I think that'd be cool. Um, but to get back to the songwriting, so Antonoff is in there a lot. Jack Antonoff, uh, for the people who do not know, who are not learned, he was the guitarist for the band Fun. He has since departed from that band and is now the uh, front man and creative force behind the band Bleachers uh, yes. on top of that. And then he also produced Lord's most recent yes. album. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's worked with uh, Taylor Swift before on some tracks on 1989. And you know what? I just want to pull up his Wikipedia again because it is fun just being on there. He's got a, a pretty sweet resume. It includes, yeah, like... Five or so songs with Lord, Fifth Harmony, Zayn Malik, uh, Sia, Grimes, Christina Perry, Sarah Bareilles, Carly Rae Jepsen, Tegan and Sarah, Tegan and Sarah, yeah. um, Saint Vincent, Pink, Pink. Yeah, he w- worked on Pink's most recent one. So Jack Han- Antonoff has had a lot of his many many hands in many cookie jars with songwriting and being in the pop landscape, and, and he gets around. And I got, and of course we're talking Taylor Swift, but now we're talking about a man, uh, freaking patriarchy. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, He he said he really really enjoys uh, working with these female pop artists because I think it's like a different outlet of music that he gets to write and create, and it's I I feel like it's a whole other different collaboration because uh, what my guess is that uh, all these female songwriters that we just listed are you know they're behind more of the lyrics of course and then he's really helping him out with these you know these big bombastic anthemic backing tracks you can see you can see jack antonoff's footprints in the songs that he created 
or that or in the songs that he helped write on this album. You like you, while we were listening to it, you were like, "Oh, this is one of the ones he made." And I was like, "Yeah." And then the other one that he does have his hand on as well is the lead single, "Look What You Made Me Do." Uh, very con- like a, a controversial song, I guess, in that it was definitely a response track to all of all of Taylor's haters. She wrote it. Just, you know, get back at her Katy Perry's and her Kim Kardashian's and her Kanye West's and everyone in between. And we'll talk about that in a second, but I just want to touch on the fact that Jack Antonoff is credited as a writer, but then also the band Right Said Fred is as well. They are known for, I'm too sexy for my shirt, too sexy for my... And when that became... So sexy it hurts. <laughs> and but <laughs> Knowing that was an actual fact, uh, like really... That cracked me up because I remember, you know, when it first came out, I was like, this kind of sounds like that song. I wonder if they're getting paid royalties. And that they, they are. They're getting they some, are. some fancy, fancy composition royalties. So, hey, good for good for right said Fred, because if it wasn't, it'd be wrong said Billy. And it's a joke that's just not going to land. Wrong so I'm sorry, said guys. Ted. More like wrong said Pat. That wasn't a very good joke. Uh, <laughs> So and the album is titled Reputation. How do you feel reputation. about Taylor's reputation with well, this one? Okay, so the song "Look What You Made Me Do" is sort of a perfect explanation for what this album is conceptually. It is departure from this sort of sweet, sincere, harmless girl that she got famous for being. Those teardrops are and no it, longer yes. on her guitar, and she's traded. She's traded that in. She's traded that persona in for a more cynical and moody persona, which is not a bad thing. No. You know, it's like I'm. I've, I'm not criticizing her for this, but it's it's much more of a sort of a dark sort of I'm Taylor Swift bitch, yeah, type of uh, mentality. It's. I guess it's. I would say this album. Let's her finally command that I'm a bad girl pop star. Ain't no one messing with me. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's she's taking a page sort of out of Madonna's book. Sure, the instrumentation and the production on the album sort of reflects that as well, with this more hard hitting synth heavy uh, EDM pop. And there are there are some more melodic and pleasant songs on the album. Yeah. Uh, but there there are also these crazy, I think it's called Hacksaw Synth. Okay, yeah. Real hard-hitting, bassy, in-your-face, intense pop music over the sort of fleeting, carefree, going going out on the town, like 22, like the song 22. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing. Her Her old songs were so much more fun. And I get maybe you know maybe that's just the price of growing up because at the end of the day it's it's a f- young younger female pop star growing up in front of our eyes you know when she was this this sweet girl with some teardrops on her guitar and now she's telling us look what we made her do and everything and hey maybe we made her maybe we made her this way she's taking a lot of criticism and some some at the fault of her own some at the fault of other very famous fame-loving pop stars and celebrities. And maybe it's just a natural response, that, uh, like a natural defense mechanism. The thing that's unique about Taylor Swift is that her music, when she writes a song about someone that broke her heart, everyone is wondering, who's this about? Because she also dates famous people. Yes. Like she, She's known for dating people that are high-caliber, A-list. And on this album, she seems to sort of capitalize on... Uh, 
on that. On, on all of her on pop that, star feuds. On that aspect of her career that makes headlines. On the fact that she can sometimes be the TMZ of pop music. She always ends up being the epicenter of the petty drama that you'll see on a tabloid magazine. You know, there's there's the drama that happened with uh, with Katy Perry stealing her backup dancers or whatever. And that I, uh, that's what I theorized Look What You Made Me Do is about. Uh, I guess, I mean, I, I, I thought the big one is the whole thing with her uh, and Kim and Kanye with uh, the famous video. Oh, the famous thing was also a... Uh, well, the famous, the lyric from Famous was also another point of contention with uh, Kim Kardashian posting the video of Kanye on the phone with Taylor asking her if the lyrics would be all right to put in the song and her agreeing to it. And then when uh, when it was released, she said it was not okay and was all angry about it. And so it's like she just has a knack for creating these PR tornadoes around yeah. her. <laughs> And it, 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 like it's always going to reflect on album sales. You know, she's making more money for doing this. So why not go all in and just be this person that's creating all of these things because it's it's making her presumably better off because of it. I mean, yeah, I would definitely say she's embraced this persona, and I think that is in fact helping her. Yeah. So I guess yeah, good on. At the end of the day, Taylor Swift knows exactly what she's doing. She she knows how to market herself. She knows how to position herself in the marketplace to sell as much as possible. So whether it is maybe positioning herself or knowing how to come on top in those in those feuds, or like we said earlier, of making your al- her album only available to buy instead of listen to once on Spotify, like we. We were probably going to do, but now I have it on my iTunes. Maybe I will listen to it again because I can, and I invested in it. It's like she, like she says, and look what you made me do. The old Taylor is dead, and it definitely is. Mm-hmm. And uh, who, whoever our listeners are, I know our listeners are mostly, at, at least right now, just our buddies. So I don't know if they've been going to too many T Swift shows, but I wonder though, are Taylor Swift live concerts? Does she play any of her old country hits? Any of her old acoustic hits? Sure. I don't know if you know. Maybe I, it's one I for the, saw her populist app. I saw her concert. on the Red Tour a couple of years ago. Okay, she played a banjo on stage. It's a six-string banjo strung up like a guitar. Huh. Don't think I don't know what you're doing, T Swift. You don't <laughs> know how to play real banjo. You're just playing a guitar that was shaped like a banjo. I can't see the Taylor Swift I heard on this album breaking out a banjo in any part of a live show. No, because yeah, like. Like in in all the Max Martin and Shellback ones, it's just so EDM heavy. Like, what is she gonna do? Yeah, like plug it, her banjo to like some effects pedal, and then it sounds like a freaking Skrillex song somehow. Like, that's not gonna happen anytime soon. That'd be kind of cool. I'd oh, watch and I'd that. love that. I would watch that. And I, and that's the other thing. I hope she takes a page out of her good friend Ed Sheeran's playbook, who has a great live show, and it's just him. At least yeah. at least since the last time I've been there, and he does cool stuff with you know just a guitar. So again. Uh, for the folks that listen or the folks that listen that are all guys that can ask their girlfriends, tell tell us in the comments what she does do, at least as of recent. So what would you say is your favorite track on the album, Pat? I like the first like very Jack Antonoffy one, Getaway Car. I really like that one. Uh, it has, like I said, that boom and type of sound. It almost sounds like Jack Antonoff did leave it like, like on his Pro Tools or whatever and then was like, hey, this is... 
I can use this somewhere later, but not for my vocal range, not for my but more for Taylor Swift's lovely. A song that stuck out to me on the album was the song Delicate. It's, you know, it's sort of just your standard EDM pop fare, but it was catchy and it got stuck in my head even after it was over. Like this, the album kept going and the, the uh, chorus was still stuck in my head. Uh, the only track to really do that to me on this album. So uh, the song Delicate, that stood out to me. Uh, overall, what'd you think, Pat? With pop music, you know, I'm not, I don't always have my ear to the radio to listen to it all the time. So like when I do, I try to enjoy it because that's the sad thing about pop music is it's, easy to dislike quickly because it's shoved down your throat or sho- and shoved down your ear so quickly. So with this, and especially like the, the B-sides that probably won't get a lot of radio play, I did enjoy it. And maybe just a not, not a lot of others are coming to mind. As of now, I, th- I would say Taylor Swift is definitely one of my favorite female pop artists. Okay, she, She's enjoyable to listen to. She's fun. It's, it's, it's uh, cake to my ears. That makes yeah. sense. It's it's good dessert. It's sweet. It doesn't have the most uh, nutritional value, but I still have a good time uh, listening to it. Especially as I was, you know, researching everything on Wikipedia as we listened to it was, it was good, easy listening. Right. Yeah. So, so how about yourself? The biggest hurdle for pop albums to overcome, in my mind, is not sounding like all of the songs blend together, and then you can point out that's a single, and that's a single, and that's a single, and having it work as one cohesive project is when uh it starts to shine through as something that's more than just a vehicle for top 40 play and i think that reputation almost gets there there were a couple moments in this album where i felt like the next song sounded like the last one or there was a weird transition between something that was hard hitting and something that was a little bit more radio friendly it it didn't flow uh, in some places, but in other places it really does shine. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm lukewarm on the album. I'd say I I have no problems with her being this more hard hitting and uh, opinionated and she, she's a bad bitch. Yeah, being a, a bad bitch Taylor instead of sweet girl Taylor. I have yeah. no problem with it. I I like artists that reinvent themselves. I like artists that change and evolve as their careers go on. And I think she's done it for the better. Yeah. But as an album, it doesn't flow as much as I wanted it to. Well, so like with these singles, and you can tell with like, as I was like looking up the songwriters list, and that like, look what you made me do had five songwriters on it, while I, all the other ones on on this pretty much had two or three. And I think that's purely, at the end of the day, this is a product being put out by a business. So you know, it's like you know, host hostess is gonna you know they're gonna make their Twinkies and they're gonna get a lot of money from their Twinkies, mm-hmm. and they're gonna. Put, pull in a lot of resources to make those Twinkies. But then some people are going to want to try, you know, the their ho-hos. And I'm going to try to stick with this Twinkies example. But then, you know, and then sometimes there's going to be weird peppermint stuffed type of random crap <laughs> that you right. see during Christmas time. And maybe you'll, uh, you'll go to the artisanal bakery on the corner and get an artisanal Twinkie. Yeah. For this, like, uh, metaphor, that would be something like Halsey... Or Lord. Even even with this album, like you're gonna have your Twinkies in there, but then you do have some artisanal Twinkies, some fancy schmancy cupcakes, right? Made in the bakery that is the Taylor Swift machine. But so another cupcake or delicious treat that was made recently was Weezer's Pacific Daydream. 
their 11th studio uh, album. I'd say it's like a paleo cupcake. Ooh. A paleo, paleo <laughs> diet cupcake. The, the most California diet thing you can you can imagine. That, that sounds more accurate. But yeah, that came out October 27th, 2017. Uh, their 11th album. And recently Weezer has just been kind of churning out albums a little bit. I guess since everything will be all right in the end where they were like, hey, sorry fans that we've been doing this stuff. We're going to now make music for you. And they've... This is now their third album in two years, I think. I want to say everything Mm -hmm. will be all right in the end came out, yeah, like around this time in 2015. So three albums, two years. I love that pacing because we're both Weezer fans. Yeah, above all things, it's it's for the fans. I mean, like everyone loves when their favorite band releases new music. So if they're releasing new music uh, on a on a pretty tight and decent schedule, then uh, it's exciting. It's fun, and at the end of the day, it's content. It's content that's coming at me, mm-hmm. and content that I know I'm gonna like and enjoy. And like, since like their literal statement of "we're gonna make our content better and for you guys, for the fans," I appreciate that they're doing so and doing so much of it. But it's also sort of a quality versus quantity type of thing, where uh, if they're on a tight schedule, then they're rushing themselves, and maybe rushing themselves will lead to some music that might be lackluster or halfway finished or music that seems like it was rushed out the door to meet this deadline that they've set for themselves. Going into the album, it's it's a toss-up of whether or not it's going to be good because you're wondering if they can keep up with this high bar that they've set for themselves. So, But here's the thing with me, and I'll, I'll, I'll be as critical as I can, but with Weezer for me, it's a certain, there are certain kind of criticism-proof for me, because I love their music from from the past, and because they're at that point in their careers where they don't need to make the next Island in the Sun or the next Pinkerton or the next Blue album. So let me backtrack. I loved the White album. I know they do it on purpose. All their self-titled albums that are just then called like you know blank color album, White album, Green album, Blue album, Red album, yada yada. They know that it's going to be some of their best stuff, and so and so. To go with, I guess, like the issue of this one, and that it was done so quickly. Uh, I learned what Rivers Cuomo, their chief songwriter, lead singer, does is that what he does is he has like a Google sheet with all of these past song ideas and parts and everything else, and he has them in this Google Doc, Google Sheet folder, and then he references them back to it, and I guess sometimes Frankenstein's some songs and puts them together, and. That is a cool way of you know making music, and you know he's has an almost twenty five plus year career of being a musician, so that's cool and everything. But I guess it won't make for the most fully formed songs if he's like going with uh, you know this plus this. He hopefully equals this, and hopefully it's good. Here's my sm- I'm going to do a little uh, retrospective of uh, my interpretation of Weezer's career thus far. Okay, right. They got Blue Album and Pinkerton, which solidified them as alternative music hard hitters. Yeah. Forces to be reckoned with along with Green Day. And they reached themselves to the heights of Green Day at the time. Green Day went on to, you know, get a little bit bigger. Yeah. Beverly Hills was on Make Believe or the Green Album? It was on Make Believe. Make Believe. Okay, so that's that's the only Rick Rubin produced Weezer, Weezer album. It got, that album got really bad reviews, but I liked it. I like Perfect Situation. I liked uh, Beverly Hills. 
Hold Me is great. Yeah, Hold Me is a good song. I really like Hold Me. So th- they got a taste of the limelight. They got a taste of that top 40. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I think with the albums that Weezer releases in the interim between the color albums, they've all been attempts to sort of recapture that lightning in a bottle for them. That's fair. Uh, Ratitude, you saw it with uh, uh, Can't Stop Partying, which had a feature by Lil Wayne, yeah. which is like, I listened to that song for the first time and I laughed. I could not take it seriously. See, I had fun listening to that, but then also, like, I was in ninth grade, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I guess w- once Beverly Hills came along for them, and honestly, maybe it was the band saw the paycheck that they got from that. Yeah. And then ma- they do want to make the next, you know, big hit. But so with this album, I would say, like, it kind of capitalized on the success similar to Make Believe with uh, with their lead single, Feels Like Summer. It doesn't sound very much like a Weezer song, but if you told me that was written in, like, the Ratitude sessions, like, you know, back then when, you know, he was doing the same thing, I wouldn't be surprised at all because, you know, it's, you know, EDM rap influence. Uh, there's guitars in it, but it's, like, they're not, like, very important in the song, I guess. It's right. beat and... Rivers, it feels like summer. And it's catchy as It's catchy funny as that you said that you like Can't Stop Partying as a ninth grader because I listened to this album and I was like, this is what middle school me thought being in my 20s would be like. For uh, Can't Stop Partying? No, no, no. For... for uh, Feels Like Summer? Yeah. Or just... Feels Like the, or the Pacific whole, Daydream the, in whole, general. Pacific Daydream as a, as a project, as an album itself. The biggest problem i have with this album is that rivers cuomo is out of his element he's in his 40s when we saw him in concert when we were still in high school he was balding and he's singing about young love and summer flings and all these things that he hasn't really had firsthand experience with for almost two decades i feel like there's he was either trying to tap into a a certain aspect of him that he maybe misses or he was trying to tap into something that he hasn't experienced in a long time Mm -hmm. and you know he's married he's and so like he's he's looking for a weekend girl like all this stuff in the album that's like it comes off to me like like it's disingenuous yeah because he's you think it's just not the realest thing anymore because it's you think he's he's lying a little bit to it right and it, a, a song that i loved off the white album la girls la girls was the perfect mix of the classic young energetic weezer adapted to the fact that he's getting older yeah because he's saying la girls act your age so i i left i have i i'm, I'm sitting here asking like why did he decide to write songs about experiences that he has that or that you have when you're in a different point of your life than he is now and i'm wondering if you know he's he's at that midlife crisis age right now and i'm wondering if he's just wishing that he was younger again and writing songs about being younger or being being young and it, it being the summer and uh taking a girl to see this band he knows and all of these things because he's he's getting older and he's uh, trying to trying to sort of like I said recapture the lightning in a bottle that was his twenties. So based off my research, here's my response to that. Uh, the the first thing is it goes with the why do these why are these songs about his twenties? Uh, and I think it goes into he's I think he is still pulling up stuff around 
from the past. Uh, Happy Hour, for example. He says that was literally written like the day after he wrote Island in the Sun. And he says it's almost like the younger brother of so. And, you know, that it's like, it's a song about something fun, but, or like, it sounds like it's something fun, but then you, when you listen to the lyrics, it's a little bit of a bummer. You know, he like, he really wants happy hour to happen maybe because his life is crappy. So, you, um, so maybe for that, it's like, you know, read between the lines type of crap. Uh, but what, what I'm getting at with that point is though, is that some of these songs, I think were still in fact written in his twenties. And then maybe now he finally has that spark of, oh, now if I put it with that part of this thing that I wrote during the Red album, and then this solo that I wrote during Everything Will Be All Right in the End, and then throw in that bridge from Pinkerton and put them all together, oh, wait, that's a great song. Now it all clicks 15 years later from writing it. So I think maybe that's why we get some of those. Why he's not writing maybe some sadder growing up stuff. I don't want to hear a song about a guy balding and getting old, at least necessarily. He sings about Rogaine. In Pork and Beans. He does, he does. And that was 10 years ago. And that was a good song. It was a catchy song. See, the thing about Weezer is they have these quirks. They have these nerdy quirks. El Scorcho and uh, the old song Buddy Holly. There's this aura of sort of this like sort of introverted nerdy guy who is now this front man with bravado. Right? He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, every time you see Rivers Cuomo perform, it looks like he's out of his comfort zone, but he's in the zone. <laughs> totally. You know what I mean? Like I mean, he, when we first saw him in 2010, uh, like, it started out of him just, like, awkwardly playing soccer with himself backstage. And, like, from where we were, we were sitting, you could just see it. And, like, what the heck is he doing? Exactly. Like, go out and sing a song. The, the other big reason why, you know, maybe we're not getting that funny, like, the funny good nerd nerd rock that is Weezer is I truly think that he is saving it for whenever the Black Album comes out, mm. which uh, I read is he might be as ready as next year. I appreciate that since they've been an independent band, they'll just put out a record of songs that won't go in the Black Album instead of of a band you know, making 40 songs and then they pick and choose what are the 12 best songs that deserve to be on the album. They say, okay, those 12 songs deserve to be on the album and we'll record those in 2018 but we made some solid songs in 2017 let's put them on pacific daydream and make that an album but so quality versus quantity it's the worst defense for something where you're you're trying to justify it being a project on its own yeah is uh at the end of the album i was left asking myself why does this album need to exist the fact is is that it it doesn't the hype for the Black Album would build up over time. And maybe and that hype will now not exist because there, there's this album in between. There's this album in between that really wasn't that good. We'll have low expectations for the Black Album and we're, we'll either be pleasantly surprised or disappointed. Or just, this kind of sounds like Pacific Daydream. Yeah. Why, why didn't those just come out sooner then? Uh, like, yeah. Right. And I, it, I understand that. I you guess. know, it it sort of just seems like Patrick Wilson, the drummer, called Rivers and said, "Hey, I want to buy a boat." And Rivers said, "Okay, let me go to my office, whip out my spreadsheet, and put together some songs, and then we'll uh, we'll put this out, and you you can get yourself a yacht and sail to France. How about that?" Well, you know, on that entire trip, it feels like summer will just be on loop because I'm sure that right. made them a lot of money mm. with this whole thing. Because I did hear that a lot this summer. And, I did too. I heard it a lot. This they summer. were doing that on purpose. You know, it was. It wasn't. It definitely wasn't the song of the summer, but it was literally the alternative song of the summer in mm. that it played a lot of alternative rock radio charts. In that, 
hey, if you don't like that, what was the song of the summer? I guess Despacito. Yeah, I'd say Despacito because every time I would get in my car and the radio turned on, it'd be blank. Despacito. Yeah, so, yeah. but if you don't want to listen to that, you listen to Feels Like Summer and get a little bit of rock, but I would say it's, it's not the most rocky rock song. It's a rocky rock song, if you know what I mean. I don't know. In that Dwayne The Rock Johnson actually sings in it the entire time, and you just don't know it. He auto-tunes his voice to sound like Rivers Cuomo. Great. Little known fact. The Rock fact. is doing everything. He, he really is. But so to cap off, I guess, with this album, Rivers said he, had, at the end of the day, wanted to make something that sounded like the Beach Boys Gone Bad. And I guess there's a song called Beach Boys, so... Uh. I didn't like the Beach Boys song on this album. I and it was it, catchy. They, they captured the essence of Beach Boys meets Weezer on the White Album so well. That's true. And then now they're making this album to follow and, it up where they don't do it. Oh, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. And it, like if, if, you know, Rivers said that, but it's like you did it already and just leave it be. Don't try to capitalize on what everyone liked because you th- you're, you're like it's going to reach an exponentially greater audience because you're just going to capitalize on the thing that everyone liked from the last album and see if you can make an album out of uh, out of the best thing about your last album. Well, so okay, so Beach Boys, you weren't a fan of. Did you like? Did you like any songs on this album? Feels like summer. I think if I'm looking at it from an objective standpoint, I think it's a catchy song and it's not that bad. Another song that stood out to me is uh, "Get Right." I like "Get Right" a lot. I like the message of "Get Right." The person who's saying that like there's there's a girl and she's out there and. But I don't know if I am at the point in my life yet to be what she needs, is like what he's saying. And I like the message of that song. And uh, so I will, I, I'll, I'll recommend that song as a good... Well, we agree on something, because I would say that was also my favorite. Yeah, Get Right was a good song. I don't know where this accent came from. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, same thing. Uh, I think when I first heard it, and uh, when, I was, when I was listening to the B-side in my apartment, and I listened to the A-side driving... And the A-side I had heard before because it was all the singles that they put out recent earlier. But that was one that they hadn't put out. And I think, yeah, when I heard that first chorus, I, I got, a, got a little chill. Yeah. It, I, mean, it, it I, meant I think something. It's, it's the most emotionally resonant song on the album. Yeah. Uh, it, it's one of the only, or it is the only song on the album that I felt like wasn't trying to be something um, commercially appropriate or commercially satisfying you know that wasn't didn't have some sort of ulterior motive for a radio play or catchiness or wasn't trying to reach the most people possible with the least amount of effort possible that's very fair and i would agree with that so i guess final thought this is this was an originally a country music superstar and a a big alternative rock band that both really have their hands in pop. Do you think they're doing it well, or do you think they should maybe go back to their roots more or so? Or I think well, it's definitely working for Taylor Swift a lot more than it is working for Weezer. Yeah, uh, but they're... Taylor Swift has been in the like public eye much more than Weezer has, and with Taylor Swift, I see. I think I she's just trying to capitalize on this part of herself that is sort of showing through a little more in her music as she gets older. And with Weezer, it just seems, like I said, they're trying to capture that lightning in a bottle again. Yeah. And they're just, they're, they're grasping at straws, trying to find that, that sweet spot again that they got with Beverly Hills and Island in the Sun. I'm glad that they are still trying because a lot of musicians and bands 
at the age that Weezer is, will try to make the same thing over and over again. And I guess I appreciate that Weezer's trying to do something a little bit different, even though it might be to make the second Beverly Hills. Right. But like the second Beverly Hills sounds a little bit different than the first one type of thing, you know. Uh, so I'm glad that they're still going, and they are going strong for where they are. So I think they'll yeah. keep go- keep on going, especially if they keep churning out albums like they do. If they're really focused on making music for the fans and and making sure the fans have music that they want to be listening to, they'll they'll learn and they'll keep growing. And that's maybe this is where their career is going to go: is they're going to keep putting out albums, get get feedback on them, learn from that feedback, and apply it to the next album, and have this awesome cycle of or awesome feedback loop of putting out an album, getting feedback, putting out the next one based on that feedback and, uh, you know, growing themselves more and more through there instead of doing the experimental stuff that they did with, uh, with Ratitude and Hurley, you know, the, the more albums where it seemed like they were taking shots in the dark. Both of these artists know exactly what they're doing and they're getting it done in different ways. Well, yeah. I'd say, uh, you know, if you're a Weezer fan, and you want to just get hyped for the Black Album, don't even listen to Pacific Daydream. But if you're a hardcore Weezer fan, you're probably going to listen to it, you know, just because it's it's new music from your favorite band. If you allow yourself to uh, be reserved, then maybe the hype for Black Album will be greater. And hey, I got this on special edition transparent vinyl so sorry i just completely shat on an album that you bought the vinyl for yo i don't care man that's what we're talking if you like it then that's i'm happy you know like if if there are people who like it then i'm I'm happy that you do like it don't let me dissuade you from pursuing what you want to well so thank you guys for pursuing us and listening to son of a ginger Uh, to find those two albums reputation is currently only available on apple music to buy to purchase so yeah you can buy reputation on itunes uh cd vinyl uh hopefully some streaming services soon i'm sure they'll get on there eventually and then pacific daydream you can purchase that as well on any platforms and you can listen to on all your major streaming services spotify apple music title MySpace Deluxe, whatever else is in the ether, I'm sure they're both MySpace Deluxe. Yeah. Uh, but hey, guys, thank you for again for listening to Son of a Ginger. Come back next time for some good old reviews. Keep it sleazy. Keep it Weezer. Weezer. Keep it Weezy. Reputation. Look what you made me do. Weezer.